way. Whoa! Hold your horses. It's time for Kootenai for Kids. Your history lesson in just a few minutes without having to sit in that annoying desk. Brought to you by Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village in Pincher Creek, Alberta. By your education coordinator, Ranger Gore. Well, hello and welcome back to Radio KBPV and another episode of our Kootenai for Kids. Well, today we thought we'd uh, talk about the fur trade. Because I don't think we have talked about that on Kootenai for Kids yet. Although we do have some podcasts that uh, talk about our Hudson's Bay Company exhibit. So you may want to go look for that and talk about our building specifically. But today I wanted to talk about a story from the history of the Hudson's Bay. And, And we have a lot of stories down in our area in southwestern Alberta. But I wanted to talk about a story that actually takes place in what is now northeastern Alberta and also into the Northwest Territories and even none of it as far east as Hudson's Bay itself. Because I think these are all good stories that we need to know. And it talks very much about First Nations girl and her name was Thana Deltar. And we'll talk about a little bit more about her a little bit later. And if you stick through to the end, I've got a surprise for you for a resource that I can point you to where you can uh, download yourself a small comic book that's all about this story that I'm telling. And I will also put that information up on our Facebook and Twitter pages and our our various social media pages. And I'll try to look for a way to do it with the... uh, What I'm going to talk about at first is talk about how important rivers are for the fur trade talk about an area of the Athabasca River. Well, the waters of that river provide a home for an animal that is scientifically called Castor canadensis. Let's try that again. Castor canadensis. And his, you know him better as the beaver. He's not very big. He's basically a sleek-back rodent. And he lives in the ri- river, and he's industrious as any engineer. His work is building, and his work can change the course of mighty rivers. Consider him like Superman. But his usefulness to the European economy led to many centuries of excursions down the waterways of North America. Now, I didn't say years, I said centuries. So that means hundreds of years. Now, the beaver's undercoat of soft hair can be made into felt. And felt can be made into hats by hat makers. Have you ever heard of that story of Matt as a hatter? Well, that's what a hatter is. He's a man in England that makes, and generally, they make those hats out of beaver fur, or beaver hair, I should say. This can be a gentleman's top hat, or it can be one of those tri-corner hats like you see the people in George Washington's era wearing, or it can be one of those top soldier hats like you see in uh, at Christmas time on the top of one of those soldiers in uh, in the Nutcracker. Or it can be the kind of hat that a 
a captain might wear on his ship. And it could even be the wide-brimmed slouch hat that we today call a cowboy hat. So any hat that's made out of uh, that soft, soft material, a lot of that in the early days came from the beaver. And thus that water rodent, he changed the course of history. Because in Europe, they really liked those hats. And that brought the Hudson's Bay Company and other fur traders into western and northern Canada. That brought out a clash of cultures as well. Because the indigenous met these Europeans. And they they showed the, the Europeans a lot of their ways and showed him of the bounty of the land. Now, in return, the Europeans turned around and and called these indigenous people Indians. Though the Europeans clearly know that they weren't in India, but the name stuck anyway, and it kind of became a mistake for a lot of years. Now, in these days and times, at least in Canada anyway, we're trying to change that name, and we're trying to use the word indigenous or First Nations as well. We're better off their tribal names as well, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, the indigenous speak of long rivers and seas and of rich furs. As the newcomers from Europe, they built forts and formed something called a company, and we know that as the Hudson's Bay Company. And as the result, we kind of got the birth of a new world with cultures risen from pieces of the old. For instance, we know of Saskatchewan, the place that uh, is to the east of us, our, our, our sister province on the prairies. That original name is an indigenous name that came from the Cree. And back up because it's a long one. Kiss Saskatchewan Sippy. So in case you think Saskatchewan's hard to tell, try Kiss Saskatchewan Sippy. Now, the English, they want these furs, but they don't just, they'll just float up to the Hayes and Nelson Rivers to Hudson's Bay where the, the forts are. And in the days of the early 16 and 1700s, the Hudson's Bay men didn't travel inland very much at all. Nor did the native trappers go to Hudson's Bay themselves. Now, eventually, over time, the Cree and Ojibwa and Chippewa and Assiniboine, Sarsi, Blackfoot, Blood, Grovant, and Mandan, they do deal with the Hudson's Bay. But until that time comes, we need somebody in the middle to do the job of taking furs to the Hudson's Bay and then bringing trade goods back. And these are enterprising indigenous rivermen that they collect the pelts and then return with strange and wonderful items of trade like steel traps, firearms, iron cooking pots and knives, flint fire starters, and even firearms. And that comes from the, the far reaches of the big water. It's brought from England to Hudson's Bay, unloaded at the Hudson's Bay forts. They trade for the furs there. And then the furs go back onto the ship, big wooden ship, ships go back to England. But what we're talking about is the homegrown traders, they're like the truck drivers of the rivers. They take the furs from the prairies and through the forests and through the long rivers. And they use, of course, a canoe. And that's a simple invention that brings about a change into history. To the indigenous, that's the means by which foreigners first interact and and meet them. To the Europeans, it brings the furs and the pelts to them. Now, who are these middlemen? These are the Cree, also known as the Nehewa. And basically, they form a network to custom haul the beaver pelts from the upriver and then bring back the treasures from from the forts at the bay. 
Now, tribes had been trading amongst each others for countless generations, but the introduction of new products, uh, iron, copper, blankets, firearms, they intensify the activity inside. That means it becomes a lot busier. And they do bring things that can make the toil of native hunters, trappers, fishermen, and the women in the camps much easier. So for a century, the British rely on these middlemen of the Cree, of the Nihiwaya, to begin the practice of bringing that stuff to the bay. Now that arrangement makes the Hudson's Bay Company, unfortunately, a little bit lazy. And their board of governors, their bosses, they don't want to let their workers go upriver up much. So as a result, we don't get a lot of exploration into the prairies for almost 200 years. And because it's the middlemen of the Cree that do their job. Now the Cree do profit from that, and they become very wealthy and powerful in the fur trade. And having captured a market, the Cree don't do much to encourage the other bands to come down to the bay. And only one guy from the bay, a man named Henry Kelsey, he, does he ever come inland on their canoe routes. And he reports back, but the Hudson's Bay Company, they don't want to upset things. They think things are working pretty well. But at one point, it's a determined woman of the Chippewyan appears on the doorstep. And that makes uh, one man in the Hudson's Bay Company very, very curious on just how their dependency on the Cree middlemen is affecting their affairs in faraway lands. And this takes us to the far country of the Athabasca, a great northbound river that takes the meltwaters of the Rockies to the Decho, the big river that we will later call the Mackenzie River. And that goes right across from where Fort McMurray and the oil sands are today, right across the Northwest Territories to the Arctic. And there are four bands in this area. The Slavey, or the Denicha, the Beaver, or the Deniza, the Chippewyan, also known as the Denisline, and of course the Cree themselves. Now when the Cree middlemen bring trade muskets to the Athabasca, some of their customers use their overbearing weaponry to drive the Chippewyan from the beaver-rich waters. Now in the spring of 1713, such an attack leads to the capture of a teenage Chippewyan girl. Her name is Thana Delta, and she is taken away as a slave to work in the Cree camps. And after a year and a half of, of enforced toil, Thana Delta and a companion escape from their camp, captor's camp on the Nelson River and try to find their way home. But as they have traveled a great distance since being taken away, they decided to follow the waters east to the great building that they have heard the middlemen speak of. Now Thanadelther's friend dies in the attempt, so she perseveres alone across the massive expansive land called the Barrens. And finally she arrives at a camp of hunters who take her to her destination and that is the fort called York Factory at the mouth of the Hayes River. And if you have a map of Canada, you can look and find out where the Hudson's Bay is and see where the Hayes and Nelson Rivers are. And she arrives to York Factory on November 24, 1714. Now the chief trader at the fort is James Knight. And he's heard a man called Swan of the Cree speak of the Chippewan. And he wants to do business with them. And he's very, very taken by Thanadelther. And he teaches her English. And they have a very, very unique friendship between themselves. And James Knight, he says, she was one of a very high spirit 
and of the firmest resolution that I see anybody in my days and of courage and forecast. And long conversations ensue about her faraway home on the Mackenzie, which is going to be a rich source of peltry. Now James Knight realizes that the Cree and the Chippewine are going to have to end their war, and he wants to use Phanadelphia to be his emissary of peace, in other words, to be his interpreter. So James Knight decides to send an expedition out to the Athabasca. He doesn't go himself, but he sends a canoe man by the name of William Stewart with a number of the uh, middlemen with the governor's orders that none of the, and this is in quotes, that none of the Indians abuse or misabuse the slave women. Thanadelphia strikes out on June 26, 1715 for her homeland to tell her Chippewine people that the Hudson's Bay Company is opening another post at the mouth of the Churchill River. And that route is intended to skirt around the native lands of the Chippewine's enemy and then trace a route across the barrens of what is now the territory of Nunavut and to follow to the, the fort at a place called Churchill, and that is today in northern Manitoba. Thanadelphia wants peace for her people, and she's impressed with the white traders' offering of goods to ease their burdens, and she desires to bring them into con- her people into contact with her new friends. But the path through the barrens is on foot, the trail non-existent, scarce of food, and most of the expedition turns back. Only William Stewart and a dozen of the Cree middlemen and the determined Thanadelphia persevere over a year to the land, to the area of the Great Slave Lake, even past the point when nine of her, her own people are found dead at the hands of the enemy. Now the Cree and her party fear revenge in a trap, and they're apprehensive about going further into Chippewan country. But Thanadelphia will not quit her mission, and the Cree and William Stewart make camp, and she continues on alone following tracks and vowing to bring her band back for a peace conference. Thanadelphia is successful in her quest, but she is less confident when she finds her camp braced to fight. She she begs and she pleads and she cajoles the Chippewan to forget their war and the murders and seek a deal with the newcomers that she has met. And she speaks about how the Hudson's Bay Company's products will ease their life and equalize their situation with the enemy. She made them all stand in fear of her. She scolded some and forced them to peace. Now the Chippewan are doubtful, but their curiosity is piqued by Thanadelphia's enthusiasm. And over a hundred Chippewan follow her back to William Stewart's camp. And in precisely the ten days that she had promised... During the peace talks, Thanadelphia is much more than an interpreter, and she stands in plain view. On occasion, takes the floor and she argues and against her own leaders. Much to her own credit, ten Chippewan representatives accompany the William Stewart party back to York Factory. Now, the reputation of Thanadelphia makes her a powerful woman in the opening of trade in the Athabasca com- country, and Europeans and Chippewine alike seek her counsel in trade matters. James Knight talks to her about the establishment of the new Churchill Post and her stories of yellow metal 
that sound tonight like either gold or copper. That excites the governor of the Hudson's Bay Company. So Thanatidelfir's efforts pleased Knight very much, and he asked her to return to her people, to her homeland in the spring, and to spread the word of the Hudson's Bay Company and the new post at Churchill. But that winter of 1716 and 1717 is very hard on the emissary. And unfortunately, Thanatidelfir, she falls victim to disease. And she passes away on February 5th, 1717. And she's less than 20 years old. Governor James Knight, in a rare moment of sentimentality, displays grief for his interpreter and his guide and his consultant, negotiator, and his friend. And he said, I am almost ready to break my heart. So that's the story of Thanadelfir. But... When we decided to rebuild the Hudson's Bay Company post in Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, um, a lot of people knew about this. And a friend of mine that actually lives in northern Alberta, and he's a very good old, old friend of mine, he mailed me something that I had had at one time and I had lost it. And it, and it was a comic book. And it was published by the Hudson's Bay Company in the year 2008 and it's called tales from the bay now as far as i know it says issue number one but uh, i'm doing, upon doing a little research unfortunately the hudson's bay company only published one issue of this it's got three stories in it and the main one in here is the story of thanadelphia now i'm looking holding in my hands a hard copy of the comic book and unfortunately i don't know where to get more but there is a way for you at home, even today as you listen to this, you can look that up and you can read this comic book for yourself online. And I'm going to post this link to this comic book along with uh, the, the listing for the, the show notes for this on Podbean and on uh, Apple Podcasts. But I'll give it to you right now. It's www hbcheritage.home and once you go to that if you go there is a heading says classroom and you go down and you'll see a lot of things that you might be interested in there's coloring pages that you can get and videos and posters and all sorts of things and I'm still trying to find the link for this comic book don't worry like I said I will publish this oh here it is Tales from the Bay it basically is you go classroom slash e slash books slash tales from the bay. So it's under the e-books um, heading in there. Like I said, I will put all of these links into all of the public things that I do. But I'm going to, now that we have heard that story, I'm going to go through a little bit of this. As I said, it's called Tales from the Bay, True Stories from the Archives of the Hudson's Bay Company. And there's four stor- three stories the first one being Thanadelfir, A Quest for Peace. It's illustrated by Dan Milligan, who studied at the Ontario College of Art and runs in a commercial art studio in Toronto. The stories were written by a man by the name of James Whaley. Uh, we see on the, what we call the splash page, or, the, or page number three, an uh, indigenous elder. Let's see, he says, Listen, young ones, and hear the tale of Thanadelfir, 
a young woman who was guided to making peace between the Cree and Chippewan by her vision quest. And the uh, and young one in front of the elder says, Grandfather, what is a vision quest? And the grandfather answers, It is a time when a young Chippewan thinks and listens to the spirits. Young people approaching maturity undertake a vision quest, hoping the spirits will reveal their life's purpose. And some of you may have heard of that sort of thing from the Picani as well, from our Picani neighbors. Tell us more of Thanadelphia. Well, when she was about your age, she was captured and made a slave by the Cree. And after a time, she and a friend escaped into the wilderness. And as we turn the page four, we see a number of people going through the snow where they searched for months for their people. Winter set in and the cold and hunger claimed her companion. Can't go on too cold. And this young woman, as we learn, is Thanadeltir. And her will to survive is strong. Wait, tracks, fresh tracks. Traders? Please help me. It's a woman, a Chippewine woman. What the? She looks near death. And there's uh, three European traders around a campfire. And they put her on a, um, what we would call a travois. You might also know it as a, as a stretcher. And it's sort of a rack with some fiber on it. And let's get her back to York Factory. And we learn that the men were from the main post of the Hudson's Bay Company. And it was there that they took Thanadeltir for help. We turn to page four. And we see Thanadeltir in a, in a cozy bed. And there's a European man. And he's got uh, one of those strange little powdered wigs that they used to wear back in those days with little curls at the sides. And we learn that many months have passed since Thanadeltir's has re regained her strength. And during this time, she speaks to her, of her capture by the Cree and of her desire to establish peace between the Chippewine and the Cree. And she also came to know the man who ran York Factory, James Knight, ambitious, clever, and always looking for ways to promote himself and increase the company's trade. Woman may be the very link I've been looking for. She speaks of a desire for peace. And if these other stories of hers are true, of our people finding these so-called yellow rocks, well, what this could mean for the company, I cannot imagine. And Thanadel there speaks back, because she has learned English. Good sir, I feel much better. I was brought here for a reason. I think that by working together, we might bring peace to my people, the Chippewaian and the Cree. And James Knight is thinking to himself again, with peace between the Chippewaian and the Cree, there would be nothing in the standing in the way of a company trading post in Churchill. Very well, young lady, if you will be our interpreter, I will help you get the peace you want. I will tell William Stewart of our plan, and he will help make your dream a reality. And as we turn to page six, we see William Stewart gathering together an expedition, and Stewart worked hard during the long winter nights to plan the difficult journey. And on June 27, 1715, they left York Factory. 150 Cree who traded with the company went with them. 
And though she was once a slave to the Cree, she put aside her feelings. She was determined to bring peace to her people and fulfill her obligations to the spirit world. Some time has passed, and we're in a blizzard, and weather is bitter, food is scarce, illness has set in. And despite the icy cold, we see William Stewart in a tent by a candle, and he's writing... We are now in the third month of our trip and the food is running out. I fear what steps we will be forced to take to survive. It is said that they had little choice but to feed on their own dogs. And Thanadelphia, though, she's making a soup over the fire. And she goes, This thin soup of melted snow and moss is hardly a meal, but it will have to do. With a heavy heart, Thanadelphia makes a painful decision. Now we must follow in the ways of my people and form smaller groups, and in this way some of us might survive. Go, my brothers, head back to York Factory, and while we go on with our mission, and may the Great Spirit be with us all. And then something is surprising her. What is this? I don't know, Thanadelphia. I'm going to have to turn to page 8 to find out. And we turn the corner and like, yikes. There are people lying on the ground with arrows in their back. These are my people, Chippewan, victims of the very conflict we're trying to end. I am certain now that the need for peace has never been greater. Well, seizing the moment, she persuaded the Cree and William Stewart to stay behind. Prepare a camp and build it well, for my people will surely want revenge. It is clear that I must continue my mission alone and find my people. Be strong, I shall return. And she walks off into the snow by herself, using snowshoes. And we've seen many, many snowshoes around Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village. And the people she's leaving behind, she goes, She has a brave heart, this Chippewan woman. We must learn from her example if this peace is to succeed. So with a promise to return in ten days, they watched her walk into the distance, not knowing where her journey would end, and she plunges on through the snow. Her determination, strength, and commitment to her mission were rewarded, for soon she came upon tracks in the snow. Many of my people have passed this way. They must be near. And at last, my people, my mission nears its end. But there is much anger here. May the spirits guide me now. And true to her goals, she boldly challenges her people with all of her energy, with words of peace. And so I say once again, put aside your weapons. Hear my words as I speak to the true heart in each of you. For hers was a wisdom far beyond her years, and she did not give up until her people agreed to talk to talk of peace. These words rang true to her people, and as this was beginning of a new life of peace and prosperity. And so it was that a small band of Chippewan journeyed back with Thanadelphia to speak of peace with the Cree. And as promised, on the tenth day, Thanadelphia arrived back at the camp. And we see a number of, uh, of teepees, and with caution the two groups met to talk of peace. And they are sitting around around a council fire. 
And one of them says, again, we must agree to forgive the past and live in the present and in peace. And um, a peace pipe is offered to all when once lit and was passed around. And so ended Thanadeltir's mission for peace. Now I'm just going to jump in here as Ranger Gord, the historian, and with apologies um, to Mr. Whaley, the writer, um, the proper name for the peace pipe is actually medicine pipe, and of course each band has their own indigenous names for that, but medicine pipe is a much more accurate name than peace pipe. And as we end the last of our pages here, the elder is sent that we uh, had at the beginning of the story. This elder is sending the young man away out of his teepee. And he says, So do not forget her name, young ones, for you as well can do many great things in your lives with hard work and dedication. And we learn that Thanadelthir died two years later on February 15th, 1717. And though her life was short, she accomplished what many cannot. In a longer life, her spirit lives on. And the story actually ends with a map. And it tells you where Lake Athabasca is. And that, of course, is the lake that's, that is on the border of both Alberta and Saskatchewan in the very northern part. And it shows you the uh, where Great Slave Lake is. And it shows you where the community of Coppermine is at the Arctic Circle. And then it also shows you where Churchill and York Factory are in uh, what is now Manitoba. So imagine this. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Northwest Territories, and none of it. This crosses three. This story crosses three provinces and two territories. So I'm going to just end that today. Uh, with that story and as I said I'm going to find a way to post this online this comic book itself online and the story of Thanadelthia and I'm going to leave it there for the end of Kootenai for Kids today and I hope everybody is doing well um, through our uh, isolation and our social distancing and I hope you're listening to your teachers and your parents washing your hands a lot and um, hopefully this thing will be over, and we'll all meet again at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. Bye. Well, that's all for now, folks. Tune in again for more stories from Kootenay for Kids. You'll find us on your favorite podcatcher, or set your interwebs on kootenaybrown.ca.